Hey, everybody, and welcome to Bruins Beat. I am your host, Evan Marinovsky, and I'm trying a little bit of a different intro here uh, on this show. Uh, it's funny. Sunday night, I was, I couldn't sleep for some reason. I was kind of staring at the ceiling and, you know, billion thoughts are going through your head. And, uh, all of a sudden I said, Oh my God, I think I've been hosting Bruins Beat for a year. And so I went and looked at my phone. And sure enough, the first episode was about a, I think exactly a year ago, maybe Saturday, uh, but it was exactly a year. Um, and I, I couldn't believe it. I was like, oh my God, this year has actually flown by. Um, and it's been crazy to think about that this has been a year. Um, and I just wanted to say thank you, uh, to everybody, to all the loyal listeners, you guys. You guys make this possible. You know, there's no other way to put it. You guys make this possible listening every week, engaging with me on Twitter or wherever you engage with me on. Um, Honest to God, you guys are the absolute best. And I mean that um, with everything I say. Seriously, Uh, it means all the world. And also, thank you to the guests for coming on. It's part of the show, right? The guests. You don't just come to hear me. You come to hear the guests as well. Maybe you come to just hear me. Who knows? Uh, But the guests, uh, thank you to them. Uh, obviously, it's not a huge milestone. It's only a year, uh, but I did want to take this time to just kind of say, hey, thanks. And maybe also change the intro. Um, it's been a year. You know, I feel like I've been doing the same format for a while. So maybe we switch things up. Maybe we try some new things. We're in a pandemic. Why the hell not? Um, but so, yeah, we're just going to you know, try this intro slowly going my way into it. No big deal. Um, and let me know what you think. Maybe you don't like the intro. Maybe you want me to change it back. Maybe you really do need the date at the top of every intro because you don't know it. I don't know. Maybe. Um, but so this episode I had on Dale Arnold. Uh, you know Dale. You love him. He's on the Bruins po- pre- and post-game shows. He has his own show on EEI from 10 to 2 every day uh, called Dale and Keith. Still going. You should listen to it even though um, we're in a pandemic and there aren't sports. Still listen and still read sports content. Still read and listen and watch. Um, and we, I, on Dale, we talked, uh, Big Bad and Bobby. Maybe, hopefully you guys all watched that Sunday night. I thought it was great. In a time when there's no sports, why not watch it? It's, it's something to watch. Um, and then we talked about an interesting take on Tory Krug by my friend Ty Anderson. So, um, we talked about that, uh, before I get into the podcast, uh, with currently no NBA, NHL, or MLB, you might think there's nothing to bet on. And guess what? You'd be wrong. Our exclusive partner, Bet Online, still has hundreds of events, games, and props to wager on from their online casino to poker and blackjack as they are bringing the Vegas experience to you. Uh, missing the NFL? No problem. Bet Online still has daily Madden NFL 20 simulations you can wager on. Uh, if you're into entertainment betting, you can still bet on Survivor, Big Brother, American Idol, stock prices, <laughs> which I find the best, um, and even the Nathan's hot dog eating contest. Why the hell not? Uh, all open 24 hours a day, and it's all online. As I said a few weeks ago, you can lay in bed, eat ice cream, and just bet away. It's not a bad time. Uh, visit the website or use your mobile device and join today to receive your new welcome bonus. Uh, bet online, your online wagering solution. Um, and before we get into the podcast, uh, a message from Cedric Maxwell on Awaken 180. Um, and I would also like to remind you guys, if you'd be so kind to leave a rating on wherever you get this podcast, whether it be Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever it might be, uh, to leave a 
review and rating. Um, and cause that honestly, it, it helps me and it, uh, it, it means the world to me when you guys do that. Uh, and again, thank you for one year. Uh, without further ado, here is my conversation with Dale Arnold. As I told you on Twitter, I'm finally doing something about my weight and my health. I found a solution for weight loss and it's Awaken 180. My friends in the media told me about Awaken 180. It's their go-to program to lose weight without killing yourself in the gym or taking any kind of medication. Just listen to the success stories. My boy, Kyle Draper, he dropped 30 pounds. Andy Grish dropped 105. And that's not it. Scott Zolak, Steve Logan, Dan Reeves, Dr. Laura R. Carmen, and add Cedric Maxwell to the list. It's only been about three weeks, and I've already dropped about 15 pounds. Turn these trying times into a reason to get healthy like me. Call Awaken. Receive the same one-on-one coaching I'm getting at home or on Skype. Also, access 1,000 recipes and tools you need to your weight loss from the company who has revolutionized the weight loss industry. Set up your first consultation today at awaken180weightloss.com. And we're here with Dale Arnold. Dale, how are you? Evan, I'm doing okay. I got to move my microphone. I just finished radio. Now we're doing, you know, podcast stuff. I had to move my microphone. You are in my my radio studio here in the basement of my house. So, how's that gone for you? You know, it's it's a little weird. It's gotten less weird as we've gone along. Um, it's always better to do shows when you can communicate visually, non, you know, non-verbally with your co-host. You can talk during the commercial breaks. You can go over what, where you're going, what you're going to do. Uh, Rich and I were both a little nervous about how that was going to work out under the circumstances, but so far, knock wood, it's gone great. Yeah, and the, the good thing is I feel like every show is going through this right now, so it's not like it's a, an advantage or a disadvantage. And also, you can see each other on camera, which is good because we usually do podcasts where you're calling in, so it's, I can't see you, but now we can see each other, so I know when you're about to stop and when you're about to start, so I think that's a very good, uh, a good thing, so, um, this on, I guess we don't, but maybe we should, <laughs> I guess we can do visuals for everything, um, so we record this on a Monday, just for those uh, who do not know, um, and Sunday night was Big Bad and Bobby, the documentary, I take it you watched it? Are you kidding me? Uh, I had gotten a preview look at, at some of it. Um, and on the radio show on Friday, we talked to Bobby about it and got an opportunity to visit with him. Uh, I mean, I couldn't wait. It was, it was, my Sunday night was filled with Bobby Orr from 8 to 9 and LeBron James from 9 to 11. And it was like a sports night. It's, it's like the old days. And, uh, but if you're a Bruins fan, if you're a hockey fan, watching that eight to nine slot on, uh, on NHL network was just unbelievable. You know, what's funny is, you know, I, 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 I'm only 21. I'm a, I'm a young guy. Um, but what's funny is with this whole pandemic, funny, I'm George, also just 21. Yeah. You're 21 too. We just both joined it. We both went to the bar for the first time. Good for us. Um, but so, uh, you know, with these Jordan documentaries, they're nine to 11 every Sunday night. And it feels like 
you know, it feels like must watch TV. Not much in these days does everyone in the family get around the TV to watch something because usually you can stream it or you can watch the highlights of it. This, it feels like everyone in America is on their couch watching it. And it felt like everybody in Boston was watching the Bobby Orr documentaries. I mean, truthfully, and, and this is no disrespect to anybody, but I think if the Bruins were in the middle of a, you know, playoff run, if we weren't in a pandemic, if everybody weren't home, I guarantee you the ratings would be probably lower and, the, and maybe the care factor might be a little bit lower in the, in the or in the big bad Bobby documentaries, but instead there's not much. Um, and it did, you know, people were talking about it. There's a lot of buzz with it. Um, as someone who didn't grow up with it, you know, I, I obviously did not grow up watching those Bruins. Um, but it's fascinating that the style of hockey and the brand of hockey. Now, did, did, how much of them did you watch and like what sort of inspiration were they for you? I never saw Bobby play live either. Um, you know, only on TV, only on video. Uh, I ultimately got to know all those guys, uh, you know, and, and become part of, you know, the, the, the Bruins culture in that regard. But I didn't, I didn't really come to the hockey, hockey as a sport until I was in college. So it, I mean, it was literally after all of this happened. Uh, I started doing, uh, college hockey on radio up in Maine, uh, in like 75. So I really didn't follow hockey much up until that point. You know, I knew who the Bruins were. I knew who Bobby Orr was. Uh, you know, we lived in the boondocks up in Maine. So <laughs> sorry, there was no TV 38 where I lived. You know, there, it, it was a pretty limited, we had four channels all together, ABC, NBC, CBS, and PBS, and that was all we had where I lived. So I didn't get to see those guys until later on. I wasn't a Bruins fan at that point. Uh, I didn't become a hockey fan until like 75, 76, started doing college hockey, ultimately ended up in the American Hockey League with the Mariners. But uh, I I came to the, the Bobby Orr Bruins legacy later in the game. You know, it's, it's so interesting for me to see it um, and to, and to just see the impact and how, you know, the Bruins at that time were the number one team in town. Um, whereas today they aren't, you know, there's a niche, you know, there's a, a diehard fan base. You know, there are a lot of people who care, but the, it ultimately it's a Patriots town at this point in time. Um, and I've certainly grown up with it that way. I think. I agree with you, but I'd make the argument. The Bruins might be second in this town. You think? I think, you know, and, and I'm, I am biased. I'm prejudiced. I freely admit that. <laughs> And if the Red Sox are in 2013 in the middle of a World Series run, you know, things change. But if you're if you're asking me about the hardcore fan base, Patriots are clearly far and away the number one. I think there's an argument about the, the Bruins and the Red Sox in number two. And I think the Celtics are probably number four. Yeah, I don't think you're wrong, actually, because I think the diehard base, the care the Bruins fans have, I think exceeds that of the Red Sox fan base. And that's just my opinion. Again, I'm I'm a hockey guy. I, I guess I'm biased as well to that. But I feel like the engagement levels are so much more with the Bruins than a team like the Red Sox. And maybe that's baseball versus hockey. Maybe, you know, a baseball fan is very much different than a hockey fan. Um, but I do see sort of what you're saying there. Um, I, it's just unbelievable. You know, it, you know, there's an argument by some people who I find stupid who say, Oh, you know, what Bobby Orr did wasn't that big a deal. The, 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 the um, the, uh, the opponents weren't that good. The game was different, you know, but it's more of 
what Orr did for the game itself and what he did for as a defenseman. You know, I grew up as a defenseman playing hockey. I obviously I was not pro. I was not good enough to be pro. Um, but you know, back then it was unheard of for a defenseman to be that kind of offensive presence. And, and Bobby Orr just steps up and, and, and casually gets 120 points. I mean, I find that aspect of it incredible what he was able to do for the game. It's hard to describe to, you know, people who didn't see it or don't know about it. You know, only know what they've read. Uh, the first defenseman in the history of the NHL to score 30 in a year. First defenseman in the history of the NHL to score 40 in a year. The only player in the history of the National Hockey League to win the Hart Trophy as MVP, the Ross Trophy as, as the uh, scoring champion, the Norris Trophy as the best defenseman in the league, and oh, by the way, the Conn Smythe is the MVP of the Stanley Cup playoffs. No one has ever done that. That's the entire list. Bobby Orr is it. He's the only one who's ever done it. And as you point out, 1970, 120 points. I mean, Phil was the first guy to get to 100. He was that hulking center playing four feet in front of the goaltender, you know, and, and scoring 39 and then ultimately 50 goals and ultimately 76 goals. Bobby Orr was shooting slap shots from the blue line half the time. And it was just, it, it's hard to describe to people. And it's why I forget uh, Tucker Boynton, a guy that I follow on Twitter. A staff Love Tucker. I, I, I really like his stuff a lot. And he put out a tweet. It was sometime last week we were talking about Orr. And in the course of Orr's Bruins career, when Bobby Orr was on the ice. Oh, I saw this. It was nuts. The Bruins had a plus 795 goal <laughs> differential or whatever it was. When he was not on the ice, they were plus five. I'll, I'll find the stat. This is unbelievable. I saw you quote this. I love Tucker. Um, Tucker's great with stats. I got to find this because this is an incredible. Incredible. Oh, here it is. From 1968-69 to 1974-75, the Bruins had a plus 779 goal differential when Bobby Orr was on the ice and just a plus five goal differential when he was off the ice. Think about those numbers for a minute. I mean, no disrespect meant to the great players of the game, the Gretzky and Howe and Lemieux and, and whoever you want at list. That number right there ends the discussion for me about the greatest player in the history of the game. Yeah, no, he, I mean, unbel- that is incredible when you think of plus 779. I mean, just a complete positive impact on the ice. And also, I thought the the documentary did a great job showing how he was good defensively, too. I mean, you know, he was blocking shots, um, never afraid to get physical. Also pretty funny that the, the Maple Leafs had a tough time with the Bruins back then, too. I think in that headline they showed, they lost like 10 to nothing. I mean, it was – it could just go well, they were down, that- the, the Maple Leafs were down 6 nothing when Quinn took out Bobby with the hit. Yeah. And Pat Quinn was a friend of mine. Uh, you know, I was in the Flyers organization when I started. I've known Pat. I had known Pat for a number of years. People who don't remember, he was a towering physical figure. He was six foot three and he weighed 225 pounds. And let me just say this, Bobby Orr didn't. Uh, the, the hit that Quinn delivered on Orr and knocked him cold. Kenny Hodge putting his glove under Bobby's head because he knew he was out and he didn't want his head laying on the ice. He was out. Done. Play the next game. It is unbelievable how different the game was back then. Like, you know, everything from the the level of the glass. I mean, did you see the the, the brawl they were having and the fans are punching over the, the glass? I, I mean, it's incredible how different it was back then and how... I, the, By I the way, like, not necessarily 
be a good thing back then. No, I, I no. Don't, I don't want fans to be able to reach over the glass and punch guys in the head. That would not be good. <laughs> if had Marchand playing in Toronto or something, it would be a death knell for him. I, I don't oh. want that. Oh, totally. No, I, I agree with you there. And and the other thing was, I feel like the game was more genuine then. Uh, not saying that today isn't genuine, but... I don't know what you, know, you mean. Tell me what you mean by that. I, what I mean by genuine is um, the players were more open. The answers were more genuine. And th- there were rivalries back then. I feel like today there are rivalries, but a lot of the guys are friends. You know, they, they but it just, to me, I, I, it's hard to put into words, but it just felt more genuine. There was more hatred then. Um, you know, the, the whole idea of, a, you know, a Bruin never gets in a fight alone. You know, there's always a second man in. Like to me, and granted, you couldn't do that now. That They basically made a rule. <laughs> so I get that, but it just, back then felt so much there was there was more to it it was it was more genuine the, the rivalries were heavier i don't know if you feel, felt the same way that was just a takeaway i had from the documentary well obviously you, you had fewer teams you played teams more often uh that leads to more emotion that leads to more you know to your point genuine genuineness um I, I i know i've talked to quinn about it i've talked to or about it uh their relationship for a long time after the hit was not very good. They had fought in 68-69. Bobby had fought Quinn end of the regular season. And they fought uh, early the next year after the hit. And Bobby, by the way, could fight very well, thank you very much. He was a lot better at it than a a guy his size should be. Uh, And I know for a fact that for years, their relationship wasn't very good. Bobby Orr could carry a grudge just fine, thank you very much. (laughs) <laughs> but ultimately, they did bury the hatchet, in Quinn's words. They did ultimately come to some sort of a relationship. They ended up serving on the same uh, Hall of Fame selection committee for the uh, the NHL Hall of Fame. And, and their relationship in later years was, was fine. But, you know, back then, you didn't like guys. You didn't like teams. You've got some of that now. I'll agree with you. It's not as much. But you also don't play teams as much. I mean... You know, how often do you play the Edmonton Oilers to, you know, gin up the, the hatred and the feeling? You know, you've got the Canadians, you've got, you know, the, the Maple Leafs, that sort of thing. But it, it's not the same league. No, it totally isn't. And also, I mean, you know, there's more. there was more talent concentrated back then. I mean, since there were sure, fewer there teams. Were six teams. But you also didn't and... have a European uh, player pool to draw from that you have now too. that's also true that's also very you had fun. more you've got more players to draw from internationally now than you did back then it's totally true all right so we're, ta- we're already talking about um good offensive left shot defenseman why don't we talk about tory krug um and so uh everyone's kind of wondering about his future i saw a pretty interesting article this week from ty anderson um <clears throat> the title is hey here's a wild card of a solution to tory krug situation i feel like maybe people were saying this and i was missing it but it's so funny because I feel like the only two options that have been discussed with Krug have been signs here long-term for a lot of money or signs elsewhere long-term for a lot of money. Not much else um, has been talked about, but Anderson, Ty Anderson pretty much makes the argument for um, why not just a one-year extension to get through this weird pandemic time uh, where there isn't a lot of money, the salary cap will probably stay flat. Um, to me, I was like, huh, that's not a bad idea because then it's like, you know, then he can get his money at some point. The Bruins will probably have a higher cap to maybe pay him that money at some point. I just want to hear your thoughts on the whole situation. Obviously, the risk that uh, that Tory Krug would have to take here 
would have to do with, you know, injury. You know, you go out there at some time in the next year and you blow out a knee or something, God forbid. I think Ty's overall premise is sound. All you have to do is look at the recent contract signed by Yaroslav Halak. And he said, you know, given what's going on in the world, uh, you know, I, I didn't want to drag this thing out. I wanted to get it over with. Uh, I could see some, I, I, I could see some interest on both sides. Look, let's just, let's just get a year out of the way. We'll keep fighting at this thing. We'll keep plugging away at it. The difference here would be if, if the gap between the two sides is so significant that Don Sweeney and or Tory Krug say, look, we're not closing this gap. We're not closing it a year from now. We're not closing it five years from now. You know, and I'm just throwing numbers out for the sake of discussion. We're $4 million a year apart. What are we doing here? In, in which case, if I'm Krug, I go get that long-term deal that guarantees me injury, you know, protection and things like that. If you think there's a legitimate chance you can close the gap and, and work this thing out, then it makes sense for both sides. I don't know where they are in that, in that process though. Yeah, that's sort of, that's sort of the the thing, you know, they both say they, there haven't been a lot of discussions since the, the pause began and, right. you know, the money, the money isn't extremely close at least enough to make a deal. But to me, it just, like, I, I read this piece and I said, huh, not a terrible idea because, you know, as I said earlier, if you can get, and you brought up a lock, which is a great point. Like if you can just kind of get security for this very uncertain time, which I think is the most important thing. Like I do think the NHL is going into this weird state where no one knows when they're going to play. I would want to be under, I would want to be under contract right now, but I wouldn't want to sacrifice my future. I wouldn't want, you know, if I'm Tory Krug. Contracts guaranteed in the NHL. Yeah. And well, I wouldn't want to, you know, go into, you know, get myself, you know, 3 million less per year than I could maybe get because the the cap is, you know, right. staying flat. So overall, I was like, huh, that's not a, that's not a terrible idea. Now I want to hear your prediction. Do you think they come to a deal with Groove? I know that they want him. Uh, I feel that he wants to be here. He's made that clear. He has never wavered from that. As he pointed out, he named his dog Fenway for God's sakes. I mean, that's true. how much, how much more of a Boston guy can you be? But I, but I also always put myself in the, in the skates, in this case, or shoes of the player. Uh, you've got a finite number of years you can do this. You have a finite amount of money that you can make. Uh, I think you have an obligation to yourself and your family to do the best you can do. And unlike the NFL, where they can cut you at a moment's notice, at least the contracts in the NHL are, are guaranteed. I understand that. I appreciate that. But if you're Tory Krug, if the Detroit Red Wings have the most money on the table and they're offering you $2 million more a year than the Bruins are, and I'm just throwing numbers out here for the sake of discussion, to bring you back to your home state, do I want to go back and begin the process of a complete and total reboot and rebuild, which is what I think the Red Wings are in the process of trying to do here? Knowing full, It's like when Damian Woody won a, a Super Bowl with the Patriots I went out and signed a big money contract with the Detroit Lions. He had already won. He already had his ring. He went out and got his money. He got paid. But do you remember anything about Woody's career from the time he left here and went somewhere else? No. And you wouldn't. <laughs> <Not a thing. laughs> and and if you're Tory Krug, you know, he doesn't have a ring here. I understand that. But if, if you get your money, but you're playing in Detroit and they're in a rebuild, 
how do you think your life's going to be? Your hockey life is going to be, you know, your, your financial life's going to be great. And, and that's all good. And maybe he wants to go live near his family. And I understand that. But if you're talking about hockey, it's going to be a while. And the other thing is, I mean, you mentioned this, he's 29. To be around for a rebuild like that, I mean, realistically, the Red Wings aren't competing for another four years minimum. I, I mean, I, I, think I, think it's, I think it's longer. So he's going to be, what, 35 when the Red Wings make the playoffs for the first time in his time there? Let's just say he signs there. Right. I, I mean, what's, you know, you're and again, I, you're using that as an example. I'm not trying to suggest that's what he's doing. I'm just using that as the example. That oh, makes I sense. know, I know. And that's the thing. And so the other, and then I saw somewhere else, the Kings are another team that, that, uh, that would have potentially the money for him. They're another rebuilding team. You know, again, this yeah. offseason, there aren't a lot of teams that have the, the cap space that are good that can sign him. I mean, yeah, you can go get your money with the Red Wings, but the thing is, it's, it's his hometown and that, or his home state. He wasn't yeah. but home state. So that's sort of another thing you have to consider. I mean, the Red Wings are a good, historically a good franchise. So maybe there's. Six, it's his home state. I'm not suggesting it's a humpty organization. That's not my point. You know, in a in a finite hockey career that Tory Krug has, how much winning is he going to be able to do there? Well, that's the thing. And so I'm very interested to see where it goes. I mean, you know, it's funny. This time last year, I'm writing a piece that's evaluating all the options for Krug. And I lead off with like this time last year, you know, um, obviously we weren't in a pandemic, <laughs> but you know, the, the cap was going to go up at some point, uh, by a lot, you know, Krug was, uh, saying how much he wanted to be here. The Bruins clearly wanted him. And now, you know, it's a year later, the cap is going to stay flat and they both say they want to be here, but it seems like common grounds harder to find. And I just look at it like a little bit differently that I could, before I couldn't see him leaving. Now I see it and I go, I think there's a legit chance he's gone. But I, I think there's a chance. I think part of it probably is also going to work out. Um, do the Bruins go on and win a the weirdest Stanley Cup in the history of hockey? Uh, you know, do they get bounced in the first round or something? You know, it's all legitimate questions. Uh, if they were to go on and win the Cup, is it harder to leave? I would assume it would be. You know, you know you've got a good thing going here. You know that the, the core of this team is probably going to be good for another at least another two, three years. Uh, and I, I don't know how that plays into his decision-making process. So you mentioned, before I let you go, there was something you mentioned that was interesting. You said, win a weird cup. And I've always, I've been wondering this lately, um, and this is regard to any team, you know, if you, let's say they bring the 24 team thing in, or they, they bring the season back in some kind of fracocta sense. <laughs> if they, if, 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 whoever wins the cup, let's say it's the Bruins, the Bruins win the cup. Is there an asterisk next to it? Is there kind no. of a, this doesn't feel as legitimate as it should? Oh, I talked to Bruce Cassidy about this uh, a week or so ago. And as he said to me, whichever team ends up winning the Stanley Cup this year, uh, their names are still going to be on the cup. Uh, their ring is going to look just as nice. Uh, absolutely not. Um, if, if you win this year, it's going to mean just as much as if you won last year, if you win next year. The, the process will be different. The world is different. In some respects, I might almost consider this more special. If you consider the, the things that the winning team is going to have to overcome, shutting down the entire league for a two or three month span, you know, playing Stanley Cup playoff games, theoretically, in the months of August and September, 
Uh, I might suggest it's harder to win this year than it is in other years. I would not take a thing away from whatever team wins the cup this year. See, I think it will be uh, harder for a team like the Bruins to win because you have all these veterans who are in a groove, you know, who were, who were, you know, playing as well as they were. And then you just stop them. You just stop. And then you come well, back. Was you know, Brad, Brad, yeah. Brad said sort of thing. Uh, and I understand. Uh, I might make the argument that one of the things we've talked about over the years here is how do you, how do you buy rest time for Patrice Bergeron, for Zdeno Chara? How do you make sure that they're healthy and ready to go in the Stanley Cup playoffs because they play so many hard minutes during the course of the season? Well, they got all the rest you'd ever want. Uh, you know, they're going to be healthy. They're going to be ready to go. They're going to be rested. I understand Brad's argument and yours. It's legit. I, the counter argument I, I might give is, is, is Patrice Bergeron ever going to feel better going into a playoff series than he will this year? That's the thing. And the other thing is, I think this helps Rask. I mean, he said it to us this morning, you know, I mean, he hasn't been thinking about it. He's been mentally, you know, kind of getting his, his mojo back. The passion was already there, you know, because he addressed some retirement questions, but I feel like this will help his passion, maybe help him yep. stay here a little longer. Um, Dale, before you go, is there anything you would like to plug? I always ask you this and I always <laughs> like a good answer. I, I appreciate the, the, uh, the offer. Uh, I am working on my second book right now. Uh, I'm I'm not willing to tell you who it's with yet because I'm not sure if he wants me to tell you. Uh, I will just say that if you're a Bruins fan, you'll like this book, and uh, and that's all I'll say. We we've been working on it for a couple of months now, and and I've begun the process of writing it at this stage. So uh, the second book will be coming along, but probably not until sometime beginning of uh, of the calendar year, something like that. We'll see. Yeah, I think you told me last time you were just about starting a book. Is this is it easier to do a book right now? Because you've all, you know, well, no, you don't have a lot of free time. You have the show every day, so that, that hasn't yeah, changed. But, but I still is, have, I mean, my, my commute went from an hour and a half a day one way to 30 seconds one way. Uh, I come down the stairs. I sit here in, in front of my picture at, at, on my couch in the basement. Uh, so... Usually what happens, this was a day where we didn't have a call together, but usually uh, the person I'm writing this book with and I get together, you know, most afternoons and we sit here for an hour or so every day and talk hockey. So you're, it's similar to what I'm doing with you, except I'm not getting paid for doing it with you. <laughs> I'm sorry about that. <laughs> That's yeah. That would, that would be nice. someday I'll be able to pay the guest. Uh, that'll be. Uh, I, I and I'm being a smartass. I I don't care. Oh, don't worry. Um, but Dale, again, thank you so much for joining. Um, for stealing this media, I'm Evan Marinovsky. You, Bruinsby listeners, have a great rest of your week. 